We're talking tonight about men and women of God. So I said men say market women. Um, so we're chatting about men or women of God, okay? So I want to ask you this question. Humanity, what is the goal for humanity? <laughs> Peter, what, what is for like the basic human, if you talk to a basic human or Christian, if you ask them, what is your goal? As a Christian or a normal human, it's actually normal human, but as a Christian, what will they tell you? Like in terms of like why are we alive? Yeah, what's what's the end point? You know, I, I ask myself the same thing. Boom. What did you say? To go to heaven. To go to heaven. Okay. So if, <laughs> remember when you were little and your parents thought you need to live you need to live great life. You had goeie goed doen, and then you will go. Right? So, so um, they say that the end point is actually heaven. That's actually the start point. Okay? Because when you are saved and you receive the Holy Spirit, God places heaven in you to release on earth. Okay? So it's, that's actually a wrong. The, the, the correct thing is humanity longs to be back into the garden. The garden of Eden. Why? Is, because, isn't that impossible? Mm-hmm. Well, but like in terms of like how things are, I mean, you know, this, I, I don't want to talk about eating the apple. I mean, since everybody's like seeking knowledge and everything, since everybody's seeking knowledge, you realize knowledge is what's killing us right now. That's true. Because you know. we want to know too much. Yeah. So the reason, therefore, because Adam and Eve was the first man and woman of God. Okay, so this is the thing. So Adam is, he was created by God, so meaning Adam is of God. Okay, and he was man, so he's man of God. Eve was of God, so she is woman of God. And then they sinned and got kicked out of Eden onto earth, and we lost right standing with God. So the whole Old Testament was basically us getting back into the God and getting into right standing with God and God just saying, sorry, not good enough. Bam! Luckily, Jesus came and with Jesus, we now have right standing. Okay? So, we're going to talk about what it means to be the characteristics of a man and woman of God. There's five of them. So, if you have your Bible, please go to 1 Timothy 6, 11. That's going to be our core um, message for tonight. So let's, let's read. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. Um, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tight to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, to life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, uh, that you obey the command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you, for now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again, 
For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He alone can never die, and He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach Him. No human eye has ever seen Him, nor ever will. All honor and power to Him forever. Amen. Now it is by Galeas, okay? But we're going to break it down in this chapter, interesting <coughs> enough, right? Um, there's five characteristics and there's nine characteristics of God in the last three sentences. It's like crazy. But we're not going to, we're going to have a look. Okay, so just for context, Timothy 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, um, Paul, you know, everybody knows Paul, he writes to Timothy about false teachers, Okay, so false teachers who is after money and fame and all of that stuff. And then chapter 6, he says, but you, Timothy. So a man of God. Okay, I have notes. I'm just going to read it for you guys. Okay. So a man of God can also be translated as a person dedicated to God. Okay. It's a person that speaks on behalf of God. Okay. You get people now in church, sadly, they speak on behalf of the world. But a man of God speaks on behalf of God. Okay? Um, now, it's so such a rare title, man of God, that in the whole Bible it's only mentioned six times. So in the Old Testament, only four people were called a man of God. Moses, Samuel, Elijah, and it was Daniel. David, David, sorry. And in the New Testament, only Timothy. In 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he was called a man of God. So it's not a title that's freely given. But if you look today... It's a title that's saying, oh, well, man of God, welcome. You know, it's given to everybody, uh, which is actually very wrong. Um, so Paul actually wrote um, this to the Corinthian church. I'm going to just read. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it for us. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3, he said, So brothers and sisters, this is to the church in Corinth. Okay. The Kerk and Corinth. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3. Yeah. Yes, you can ask I, I know this is a bit, might seem a bit weird, but it's what's going on in my mind. Since you say like the Old Testament, the New Testament, did that happen at different times? Like, well, well, basically the Old Testament was well, four hundred years prior to the New Testament. So, like in terms of us, mm -hmm. is it going to be the same cycle? Yeah, we, we are basically continuing the New Testament. Oh. Currently, we are living in New Testament. It's alive. <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay, so, oh. just for, um, so Paul wrote this to a church because he knew they were not on man of God's standard. Okay? He said, so brothers and sisters, I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but instead as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you milk and not solid food, for you were not ready. In fact, you are still not ready. For you are still influenced by the flesh. For since there is jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate people? He calls them worldly three times. Okay? So Paul is like, he's used to saying, you know, churches, come on, wake up. Focus, boys, focus. Okay? So that's why he makes the contrast, basically, of a false Christian and a man of God. Okay, so now we're going to have a look at what is uh, actually a man of God. Point number one, you guys can write down. Yay. The man of God flees from sin. 
If we have a look at 1 Timothy 6, 11, it says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all evil things. So the first thing, a man of God is known for what he flees, and he flees sin. Now, we would think Paul is like one of the biggest warriors in the New Testament, right? He gave us like the armor of God and everything. So we would think like he would say, stand firm, destroy, conquer, or something, right? But he does say, resist the attacks and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That he did say. But it's very wise for a man of God to flee sin. Proverbs um, 22. What, what does flee mean again? I'm sorry. Run away. Oh, yeah. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says, A shrewd person, okay, smart person, sees danger and hides himself, but the naive keep right on going and suffer for it. Okay? So, the question is, why does a man of God need to run away from sin? Uh, I heard a quote that says, don't fight darkness because just stay away from it. I don't know. Okay, but why? So, why does a man of God need to flee sin? So that we would not be corrupted or cannot be corrupted. Exactly. No. So, let's say, for example, I'm going to take smoking. Take okay? any chance of being corrupted. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm going to take on, smoking is not a sin, but I'm going to use it as an example, okay? So my rookers, what is my smoke break? Okay, no, 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 but it's for me. Isn't it a sin though, it's a sin. Well, it's like really, really a sin. Like, I mean, it's the temple, that's what they say. Yeah, that, not, that's, why, that's why they say it's a sin. I'm not saying because I don't smoke, that's yeah. wrong. But let's say, for example, smoking is a sin, right? So let's say JP wants to stop smoking, that's okay? Let's say JP wants to stop smoking, right? And now Andre is like a stoker. He puffs like Popeye and stuff. He's like serious in this stuff. So now, if Andre goes smoking and JP goes with him, he will never stop smoking. He's going to be like, yo, Andre, say maybe come here. And he will get that fumes still. But if he goes to the bathroom and play with other stuff or go wash good, he will not be in the area of smoke, meaning it's easier for him, huh? Exactly, exactly. So it's easier for him to overcome that specific sin because he's not in the environment of sin. So I have this, it is the recognition of a man of God in his vulnerability that makes him strong. Okay, so you need to know, for example, if you go in a group to a club and you will evangelize, whatever, go do it. You will not evangelize a thing. Okay, so man of God knows when to flee sin. Okay, the second point. The man of God pursues a godly character. So if you read uh, 1 Timothy 6, 11 further, it says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Anyway, okay, so 1 Timothy 6, 11, if we continue there, it says, But pursue righteousness, godliness, along with faithfulness, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Okay? So not only is the man of God known for what he flees, but he is known for what he pursues. Okay? Now, pursue can also mean persecute in certain translations. So this means that a godly character doesn't happen overnight. Pursue means an ongoing process. So it's an ongoing process for us to become men and women 
of God. Okay? Um, Proverbs 24, 16 says, Although a righteous person may fall seven times, he gets up again, but the wicked will be brought down by calamity. Okay? A man of God won't live in sin. They won't accept defeat. They fall, but they keep getting back up. They are in pursuit of looking like Jesus. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse 16. Okay? So a man of God pursues godly character. Now, Paul mentions six characteristics there, six uh, type of things. I just want to briefly explain them so that we can get like a thing about what it is, okay? For example, righteousness. We always hear, oh, righteousness, but what does righteousness mean? And especially, what does righteousness mean in this context? Okay, so righteousness normally means um, what we receive from God to be in right standing, right? But in this context, it's not anything to do with Jesus, basically. This is an outward quality of righteousness. For example, serving one another, caring for neglected, evangelizing the lost, discipling believers, and worshiping God. That's righteousness in this context, okay? The second point there was godliness, okay? Godliness can be translated to godlikeness, okay? This is when you have this burning thing. In everything you do, you want to honor, praise, and give God the glory. This is what godliness means. Everything you do, thank you, God. Glory to God. G to G. Hashtag. Okay. Um, the world gets irritated by that. Yeah, because they're the world, because they are so unfulfilled. Anyway, okay, that is faithfulness, okay? Faithfulness, we all know, um, a man of God is trustworthy, okay? So you say you his yes is his yes, and his no is his no. Um, can I ask you a question? You can ask. Sorry. Um, I just want to, like, tell you something that happened to um, a friend's relative. Her mother, uh, like, there was this girl, she was um, what? saved, right? She used to pray a lot and stuff. Then her mom, uh, the mother, uh, which was, the child was the aunt. Like, I mean, the aunt, I mean, that doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm the aunt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Let, let's finish this. So, and no, then... like, they sent her away because they say she prays too much, you understand? So I'm just asking, is it good to, because there's a quote that I heard that says, you should never show your your Christianity and everything. Because, like, she got sent away, so I get confused mm. on how to act. Like, Well, see, Jesus got killed, bro. And also All of his apostles except her. John got killed or so crucified. So she got sent away from the family that she was living because they say she prays too much and she does too mm-hmm. much preaching. It's written in Matthew that uh, you as a Christian you are the salt of the world. And what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Okay, thank no, you. I'm so sorry. Pray out loud. No, cup it. And then I said, I'm, no, it came out wrong. <laughs> I was making an example. No, no, it's legit. But I will also pray aloud that they can send me away. That's actually got it. Very cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, also the man of God is know, knows that on his own he cannot do anything. So he is constantly abiding in God's word and prayer. So he has also great faith in God. Okay. Uh, well, near and it's not the way break down funny, um godliness pursue godliness. Okay. Um, the fourth one is he says love. Now I hate English for this. Love is not only a four-letter word. The original word love from Greek is a four-definition word. You have agape, 
phileo, um, storge, and eros. Okay, I'm going to briefly explain them. So, agape is a sacrificial love. That is the love God loves us with. You don't expect anything back. You just do it. God so loved the world, he sent his son. That love is agape. Okay, phileo is a brotherly love. That's basically what we have. Okay, ons is broers, maar ons gaan niks, jy weet, doen nie, for example. And also, now and then you expect something in return, okay? Um, eros is a sexual love, so we don't at all do that here, okay? <laughs> and storge uh, is more like, a, I, I love rugby. I like rugby, I love rugby. It's more like, a, you know, Onderwerp type of stuff. Okay. Um, so love um, in this context is agape, meaning a godlike love. Okay. Um, often in our culture, we think that one shouldn't have to work at love. It just happens. We just fall in love magically. Um, that's not biblical love. Okay. Biblical love is an act of the will that takes work and sacrifice. Where do we see it? God not says, love yourself, love your neighbor. He says, love your enemy. It's a bitch to love your enemy. So it takes work to love your enemy. Okay, that's why it's a sacrificial like how, love. You explain four loves. Which mm. love do you love your enemy with? Agape. You don't expect anything back. You don't expect him to do anything for you. Like, yeah, you know, benef- so you benefits. You love that, <laughs> that love. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, the, in the original text of the Bible, you will see then they will say agape, phileo, da 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 So it's specific places they use different types of love. But then English people were like, oh, wait, this is unimportant love. Okay, and perseverance or endurance, okay? Um, this is how a man of God strives to go through trials and difficulties. This is what we don't catch um, when, we, when we go through difficult times. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, we should rejoice in suffering because it produces per- perseverance or endurance. And then endurance creates character and character gives hope. Okay? So when God puts you through a trial, that's, that's he puts you through something, he wants to build your character. But what do we do? We moan. Oh, Father, it's too moeilijk. You weet, die ook kan nie so acne. But the thing is, he wants to build your character for the next level. Then he can trust you with more. Okay? Uh, Romans 5, 3 to 4. 3 and 4. Okay, so basically, God wants to develop our characters through trials. Is that a point? Uh, no, 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 no. It's only explaining that long point to give a base. And then, yeah. and then the last one he said was gentleness. This refers to how you respond to difficult people. Um, it's a cool quote. It says, um, gentleness is the connotation of power under control. You know you have power, but you have it under control. Yeah. It only means if this guy is rude to you, you need to be gentle to him. That's a man of God. Okay? You're a peacemaker. Jesus was a peacemaker. I saw his shit now, I think was it freer. All right? He's a peacemaker. We need a man of God is a peacemaker. Not a peace giver or whatever. Hippie. Okay. That was just a quick explanation. It's very good, but not to give a line to you. Okay. The third point you can write down is the man of God fights for the faith. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, um, Paul writes, fight the good fight for the true faith. 
Timothy 6 verse 12. He says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Now this is interesting for me. Fight the good 6 fight verse 12. So he doesn't say fight the good fight of faith. He says fight the good fight of the true faith. Now I know in English, in matric, if you don't know your stuff, you drive. So the, 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 the man of God fights for? For faith, for the true faith. Yeah. Okay, so it says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Now, the true faith, okay? This does not refer to your faith in God, okay? This refers to the scriptures of God, mm. the word of God, the Elki, the Logos, the written word of God, okay? Now, it's actually very funny in a lot of like in Corinthians, in Philippians, Paul always writes something about false teachers and then he corrects them for the faith, uh, for the true scriptures, okay? So why is it important for us to fight for the scriptures, for the word of God? Yeah, and you mentioned about destroy your Okay. To preserve it? That's true. The main reason, Eric mentioned it. Why do we need to fight for the true faith, the scripture, the word of God? The reason why is so that we can overcome the deception of Satan. Satan always attacks the scripture. Always, always, always. Look at Adam and Eve. God said to Adam and Eve, you were created in my image. And then they said... Um, you are not allowed to eat from the fruit, the tree, the fruit of good and evil. Why? Satan said, because God does not want you to be like him. But they were already like him because they were made in his image. So he twisted the words of God and they were deceived. Exactly. So the devil will always attack scripture to deceive you. Okay, that's why we need to spend time in the Word, not just to say because I'm spiritual, but so that we know what the Word actually says. And when somebody, like example, we watched a video of um, Joyce Meyer. She was talking on tattoos, right? And she was saying, I'm going to get a tattoo right now. Where's my tattoo artist? In the sermon, right? Um, because she's saying, it's not a sin to get a tattoo. Now, it, it actually is not a sin to get a tattoo, but in the scripture she used, the very next verse says, do not get tattoos of the dead or stuff like that on you. You know, Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 4, something, but it is in Leviticus. But she skipped that whole scripture. And when we read it, it was like, bro, you used like a really wrong context here because this is saying no. And now I understand like the whole of Bethel has tattoos. So obviously it must be legit, but you, <laughs> you understand what I mean. Skill it as well. So... I know it's not a sin. I know it's not a sin. But in the context of the verse, it was a sin. So I was like thinking, are you? Yeah, okay. So always taste the scriptures, okay? Um, uh, I want to read. And also, if you counsel to somebody, okay? Um, when counseling or ministering to others, one must identify the lies the person believes and insert the truth of God's word. Okay, 2 Corinthians 10, 45 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are powerful by God, 
for tearing down strongholds. So we tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. Okay? So against... So anything against the knowledge of God, we need to tear down. Boom. That's why we need to fight for the scripture. Man of God is known by what he flees from, it's known by what he pursues, and it's known for what he fights for. Okay, the fourth point, and this is you, this is the one we miss, guys. Woo! Okay, this is the final one, the last commandment um, Paul gave to Timothy before giving him a motivation. Okay, um, the man of God, or woman of God, takes hold of eternal life. So, um, Yuhu, if you were like maybe living a life whereby you have everything, wouldn't you be like a bit paranoid or worried about getting to heaven? I'll go to hell if I have everything. Jesus said it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into heaven. The thing is, you know, I, I see these, um, sorry, I heard one artist, I was just watching something. They have like living like, for example, I heard this lyrics from an artist saying, mm-hmm. Drake called Drake. He said, I cannot see heaven being much better than this. Yeah, that's no, the shooting gun. So now I just I just wanna like So I can help So I know this is weird, but like I know it's something out of what we're talking about. But I'm trying to say is like there's people who are living that life, like that blessed life. Yeah, that's true. And then there's people who are struggling. But now so the question is now who is blessing you? Mm-hmm. If it's not from God, then who is it from? So for I'm, example it, in I'm not saying it's not from God that if, if I say I cannot see heaven being much better than this, then I, I don't know if that's a sin or not. Can you give that line a Bible? I just want to read you, in the context, right, um, in 1 Timothy, I think it's 4, um, when, when, when he talks about false teachers, oh yes, it falls, it's actually in the beginning of 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires to plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people are eager for money and have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. So basically it says there that God really does want to bless you with prosperity. That's really his will. But some of us do it for the show. All of those big churches and stuff and the live streaming and stuff, that's like getting money and using it for money. Mm. It's using it to get your own brand out there. And then God says, it's fine. They're preaching my word, but you still have a love for money more than a love for me. That's a problem. There is a verse. I will get the verse for you. It is in 1 Timothy 6, but I will get the correct verse for you to show. He really does talk about successful pastors, mm. but... Also, they are after money. That's why they are successful. If you look at every apostle or disciple of Jesus, they had nothing. They really had nothing. And then I ask God, but God, if, if you want to bless us for prosperity, why do we as disciples need to give away everything? It's so that we can actually not have any pride in what we own because everything is godly given. That's where the problem comes in. Okay, 
Hoe kun je dit Listen, if, if God blesses you, for example, Francis Chan, he had a mega church and he sold his mega church to open an extra part in his house for all the poor people to come and sleep and get food and, and you know, he wants to spread the gospel to them. So if you do have money and you do give what to God, what belongs to God, you will give you more. That's the thing with tithes and giving. He always gives you back tenfold. And I think that as you have money, and you seek more and more, and you want more of it to that's what the verse comes from. If you have money and you give it freely, and you have nothing when you give it to then I think that's where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So back to uh, the fourth point. The man of God takes hold of eternal life. Now, what does it mean to take hold of eternal life? Let me give you a hint. Timothy was saved in Romans 8, verse 29. Timothy gave his life to Jesus and made a confession. This is like per par jaar later, on per 2030. But Paul still tells him to take hold of eternal life. But he was already saved. To enjoy the benefits of God. Because there's benefits to being saved. There's benef- benefits to having eternal life. And what we do is we, we get eternal life, but then we just like focused on, no, 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 no. But we don't reap the benefits of what God wants to give us. Um, I want to read this. The man of God must seize eternal life and live it out daily. He should accept nothing less than the promises God has given him. So God... When you are saved and you give your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit invades you and blah, 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 then you have so many promises of God, but we never use it. We don't see miracles, but it's a promise God says. We don't see healing or anything or prophesying or anything like that, but God says, I promise my spirit will do it. That's why he said, take hold of the eternal life, live it out. Jesus said in John 15 or 17, he says, this is eternal life. And I always wondered, but... Isn't eternal life when we die physically and go to heaven? No. Eternal life starts when you were born again. That's why this is eternal life. Heaven was placed in you to bring it down to earth, to release it. So that's why we need to take all of eternal life and enjoy the benefits of God. Mm-hmm. The difference between yay and a Muslim is God. Daar doet gaan sê, Johnny, ek moet perfect mooi lewe, ek moet gaan slaap achter, anders is my keel seer volgende ochend, en hy sê van, God, healing, boom. That's the difference between us, who know God, and those who don't know God. So let's take all of the benefits of God, okay? Um, Paul write, uh, writes in Philippians 3 verse 12, he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it yet, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Even if you fall, you focus on your goal. Okay? And that is getting back into the God. Well, we already are, sort of. But becoming man of God. Okay? Um, The last point, number five, the man of God intimately knows God. So this is a long, this is Timothy 1 Timothy 6 verse 13 to 16. And I charge you before God. This is the motivation. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this commandment without wavering. 
then no one can find fault in you for now until Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings, Lord of all lords. He can never die, and he lives in such a light, so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will, or honor power to him forever. Amen. Paul describes the greatest motivating factor for a man of God, God's character. In that verse, there's nine characteristics of God, of his presence, of how he looks, literally what he does, nine in just that little bit. We're not going to discuss all nine because this is more important for me, okay? The more one knows God, the more God can use you for his kingdom. God will not use you if he doesn't know you. All right. Um, so Paul's message to Timothy is clear in that piece. We don't. I don't. It sounds very dear Makar. Okay. Let's sum it up. So Timothy, Paul is saying to Timothy, though your calling is immense, the God who calls you is far greater, and He will enable you to do it. All of you have a calling, and all of you might feel overwhelmed by your calling, and you might feel you're failing your calling. We have a great commission. Go and make disciples. Go take the gospel to the nations. And we feel like we're failing it. But the God who gave the commission, the God who gave the calling, is so much bigger that we cannot fail. One night I was crying in my room. I was, I was really failing at a, at a commission he gave me. And he said, Hugo, when I give you an assignment, I also assign all of heaven with you. And I could not fail. So God challenged Moses the same way. He called Moses to set Israel free, right? But Moses declared, but I'm slow to speak. I talk, he had a stutter. What was God's response to Moses? He asked him, Moses, who made the tongue? And Moses was like, yeah, okay. Let's go save the nation. And he literally did. So Moses was challenged to be faithful based on his knowledge of God's greatness. Sometimes we lose focus on the greatness of God. And that's why we feel like so limited, but God is just so, so big. Um, The more a man of God knows God, they will be motivated to be faithful. Our hope must be in the character of the one who calls us. So I want to ask, this is an ending question, okay? So if God is so big, He cannot be a part of the universe. He's too big for the universe. Okay? We know how big the universe is. It's freaking big. Okay? Um, So if God created the universe and he's outside the universe and he still said, receive me within you by my Holy Spirit, what keeps us from doing crazy powerful shit on earth? Sorry for that part, but it's like the almighty God that cannot be in the universe still placed himself in us to release him on earth. The only thing holding us back is us. It's us. It's literally, like um, Stephen Fertig said this, what's keeping you from miracles is your own BS, your belief system. No, your, no, no party <laughs> your belief limits God. No. I've been I've been feeling like you know like you know when you hear like get all spiritual and stuff, but like in like in reality in terms of my world like I just feel reality man I feel like I feel the the ground where I'm 
Mm. But like in terms of getting spiritual, I, I don't, sometimes I just feel like it's me, maybe I did something wrong. And I don't like, you don't get time to be like, okay, let me pray about it. Let me do, no, I just try to figure it out. Because mm. like, I always blame myself for each situation. So to just quickly, I'm going to ask you now, but just to quickly sum it up. So the character, characteristics of a man of God, man of God is known for what he flees from. He flees from sin. A man of God is known for what he pursues. He pursues a godly character in every aspect of his life. The man of God fights for the true faith. The only true faith is Christianity. None other true faith is true. Okay? The man of God holds tightly to eternal life. He lives out the benefits of God. Okay? And the last one, the man of God, I forgot what it says. The man of God knows God intimately. The more you know God, the more he can use you. Yeah. That's five characteristics. I hope you guys wrote this down. The reason why for this sermon, right? Or, or not sermon, but uh, this, this lesson. We are in such a good time currently, right? But there's so many fakeness out there. And there's so many people saying that they are talking for God, preaching for God. But you don't, we don't see the moves of God. We're not seeing God move because there's not true men of, men of God at all. Okay? Um, one of my favorite preachers, I'm not going to name his name because I still love the guy, but I don't like the guy anymore. Um, so he preached a sermon. He's 40 years in ministry. He preached a sermon um, saying, I have never seen miracles in my 40 years. Right? And he also doesn't believe in tongues. He cannot theologically say no there's no tongues but he says basically well i'm not seeing the results you know what how it was in the book of acts and corinthians he cannot see it today at all <laughs> okay um but but then i then i made the calculations okay let's say for example he preaches one sermon a week there's 52 weeks 52 sermons a year let's say 30 years in his life um that's about 1560 sermons so you had 1,500 opportunities to release God and you haven't seen him. What were you preaching? And I asked God, I, I, I really aspire to become a preacher and a good pastor. And I was like, God, I will never keep my mouth shut if I cannot let you move. And he says, it's fine. Just preach the word of God. Just preach this and I will move. So I asked Reinhard once at one day, I'm going to end with this, okay? So I could for Reinhard to throw, Reinhard, what moves God and where does God move? God is moved by our boldness, our actions. Okay, that's where he moves. That's where? He moves in our boldness. He cannot move in our lameness, lukewarmness. So what moves him is his word. If we declare this, he needs to move because God will never go back on his word. At all. If he says miracles, boom, miracles too. No. There's not a man that he cannot. Exactly. And then where does he move? Only in boldness. You will find him in repentance in your secret room. You will find him praying there. But if you're not bold, he will not move outside of your room. No. So in all of your workplaces, if you don't take a step of boldness, he will not move. And you will not see God. So he moves. What moves him is his word. The, you, the faith you have in his word. And where he moves is in your boldness. Mm. So let's, let's, you know, let's focus, let's drive, let's pursue becoming, again, 
man and woman of God. It is a process, but because all of us can do it together, accountability partners, we can mm. achieve this goal, like Paul said. I want to end with one last verse, and I'll partake you. Okay. One last question. I know, I'm just, I just mm. want to understand everything properly, because the thing is, I'm a student as well, mm. as I'm a Christian. So I, I across us, I, I didn't understand um, the Jewish religion, right? So I didn't understand why they, they, they don't really, like, you know, relate to us in a way. So does that mean they had it the wrong way? Mm-mm. Well, no, the Jews were like, Jesus was a Jew. It was God's people, the chosen people. We are Gentiles. Everybody who's not a Jew is Gentiles. In the New Testament, you get Gentiles and you get Jews. So Gentiles was like the Romans, the Greeks, all of them. And then the Jews was like Jesus' people. Yeah. But then Jesus became, okay, this guy can answer. Yeah, it's in Leviticus. 14, they actually had a rule that they had to live perfectly, as in they were not allowed to eat unclean meat. Uh, that would refer to your pork, as one Muslim might refer to the face of that. Yeah, but you eat pork. I'm like, I'm a Christian, not a Jew. Jews they were not allowed to eat pork, they were not allowed to eat shellfish, they were not allowed to eat anything that was unclean, they were not allowed to eat any bird except the chicken, most probably. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. Oh, so they're not headed the wrong way. No, they were they were they were formed to follow the perfect way. Oh. And so Christians, unfortunately, we couldn't so follow the Jewish laws. But since they say that you cannot come to my father unless you accept me as your savior, mm-hmm. so to them that doesn't exist. Now, in the beginning, it didn't exist to them. But if you read further in Hebrews, even the Hebrews turned to Jesus. And they also accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Even in the Hebrew culture still today, they still have some of their servants where they do offerings, but Jesus is still the main figure in the religion. So it's the Jews now like preach Jesus and accept. Yeah, they still not today, not really. Yeah. They okay, they still believe in Jesus. It's just they have a different way of their religion. And like everything <laughs> they do has to be clean. For instance, if they go to the bathroom, they wash their hands twice. So you wash your hands the first time. Okay, you have a cup, right? You have a cup. So you fill the cup with water and you wash your hands the first time. You close the tap and you wash your hands in the cup. And wash my hands That's just complicated. Yeah. I actually don't understand. I feel like they... I felt like I was trying to understand am I on the right path? What's going on? Like, because like, I, when I read Jesus was Jewish and we believe that you know, except Jesus is our savior, and then you understand, and then they t- they don't they don't do that. So now I'm I'm kind of asking, like these people are going to church, and some of them are good people. So now does that mean they won't go to heaven? No, they won't. No. Good people don't go to heaven. Only <laughs> believers do. That's funny. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to end with... So, if I die, hopefully, like a normal death, and I will have a tombstone, I really think I will be, like, burnt or crucified or something. I don't know. But uh, if I have a tombstone, you guys need to write this on my tombstone. Okay? Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. Paul wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. That's a slogan for when a man of God dies. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have 
kept the faith. Awesome. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. <laughs> Happening. And uh, it's time for men and women of God to stand up mm-hmm. again and to speak for God and to not speak for the world. We are of the world. We are not a part of the worldliness. It's a difference. World, no. Worldliness. Okay? <laughs> so when we go into the world, we don't attract the worldliness. Okay? We save the world, not the worldliness. We hate sin. No. Okay. So, yeah. Just, that's what I wanted to share tonight. I really feel like we can focus. 